Is God real? Are the stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's Word? We want to uh, bring this series of Bible studies to a close today. Uh, we've been talking about the various attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. We have not exhausted the list at all, but uh, I felt like today was a good day to wrap this up. Today we want to, to talk about one last attribute uh, of the fruit of the Spirit. We want to remind you that there is but one fruit of the Holy Spirit, and that fruit is love. But Paul, in sharing the fruit of the Spirit, uses different uh, descriptives uh, to help us to better understand the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the descriptives that he uses, and that's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, I want to say, is gentleness or meekness. And that's what I want to focus on today. Gentleness or meekness. It is an interesting thing, and, and, and it is uh, a characteristic that most of us don't really want to embrace. We, we, we don't particularly care about being described as meek. Uh, we, we don't particularly care about being described as gentle. Uh, we should because it is a characteristic of Christ. And I think that part of the reason why we don't want to be described that way, we don't want to be identified that way, is because we uh, equate meekness with weakness. And other than the fact that they rhyme, they really have nothing to do with each other. So uh, it, it's important that we understand what meekness is. I'm going to, instead of us focusing in on one particular scripture, we're going to flip around a little bit today. Let's start with Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. which is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that first section of the Sermon on the Mount, which we commonly call the Beatitudes. I like, as you have probably come to understand by now, I like the message version. And the message version doesn't always uh, uh, translate things the way that we are, we are used to hearing them. The way that we commonly hear this verse is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want you to hear the message version of that. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. I think that that's a good understanding of what 
meekness is. It is learning to be content with who you are, with who God has. Who are you? Whoever you are, however you describe yourself, however you see it, and I'm not, I'm not talking about how you describe yourself to other people. I'm talking about how you describe yourself to you. Because all of us have a way that we want to be presented to other folk, but then all of us also know who we are when, when, when nobody else is around. Who are you? Whoever you are, whatever you are, you are what God made you to be. And you ought to be content with being who God made you to be. Now, am I saying that if you're fat, you shouldn't want to lose weight? No, didn't, didn't say it. Because God didn't make you fat. God, God made you uh, big boned is what my mother used to say. God, God made you big boned. But, 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 but if, 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 if you are, I'm not talking about physical attributes. I'm talking about your spiritual composition. Whoever you are spiritually, you are who God made you. And you ought to be content with that. You, you, ought, you ought to be satisfied with who God made you and not seek to be who somebody else is. Most of the people in this room I'm looking at are old enough to where you ought to know this by now. Modeling yourself after somebody else, trying to be somebody else, trying to imitate somebody else just doesn't work out well in life. You can only be who you are. You can only, you, you can make improvements, you can grow, you can expand, you can stretch, but you can only be who you are just as other people can only be who they are. And part of the development of meekness is learning how to be satisfied with who you are. The New International Reader's Version uh, translates this passage in, in a slightly different way. I've, I've read you the King James, which everybody knows. I've read you the Message Version. New International Reader's Version puts it this way. Blessed are you when you are free of pride. When, 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 when you are not puffed up. When you're not filled with arrogance. That is what meekness is. If you want to know how to define meekness, let, let, let's use a couple of descriptors for meekness. If you're talking about meekness toward God, meekness would be yielded, would be teachable, and would be responsive. You're yielded to God. You are apt to be taught by God, which means that when God shows you something, you're willing to embrace what God has shown you and you are responsive to what God has called you to do and to be. Now, here's the thing. If, if, if you are none of those things toward God, then what you are is a sinner. Listen to the list again. Yielded. If you're not yielded to God, what are you? Rebelling. And if you're rebelling, what are you? Sinning. If you're not teachable, if, if God can't teach you nothing, if God can't show you nothing, what are you? You're a sinner. 
If you're not responsive to what God has told you, if, if you're slack in what God has shown you, God says do this, God says be that, and you're slack in doing that, then what are you? You are a sinner. So in any case, whichever, whichever adjective you use, if you are not these things toward God, if you're not yielded, if you're not teachable, if you're not responsive, then what you are is a sinner. What is meekness toward one another? Because remember, our relationship is not just vertical. Our relationship is also horizontal. Our service to God is not just in how we address him. It's how we address one another. So what is meekness toward one another? It is humble having humility. It is being gentle. It is being respectful. And once again, if you don't have any humility, what are you? You're arrogant. And, and, and the Bible says that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. If you are not gentle, that means that you are rough. Now, some folk might, some, some folk like to be thought of as rough because you think if I, if I show myself as being rough, then folk will leave me alone. That's until you run across somebody who thinks they're rougher than you are. <laughs> then you're gonna have a whole different set of problems. If you are not respectful towards others, then what are you? You are disrespectful. And under those cases, once again, you are guilty of sin. So if we refuse to embrace meekness, then what we are saying is we are going to embrace a sinful attitude and a sinful behavior. And we don't want to do that. And you can't say that you are exhibiting the fruit of the spirit, which is love and yet you're rebelling against what the fruit of the Spirit reveals itself as being, which is meek. So we, we, we must embrace the reality of what it is. Jesus says, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. Jesus describes himself a certain way. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Key verse is verse 29, but to keep it in its context, I'll start with verse 28. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You're more familiar with the King James translation of that because we quote this verse almost all the time. Come to me all you that are weak and heavily burdened and I will give you Rest, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus describes himself as being meek. I am meek. 
So for those of you who want to resist meekness, but say you want to be like Jesus, how does that compute for you? I want to be like y'all. Lord, I want to be more like you every day. But, but don't tell me none of that meek stuff. I, I, I won't have nothing to do with that meek, that, that meek thing. That's not the way that it works. Jesus describes himself this way. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 37. Because where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, I am meek and, and, and free of pride, or meek and lowly in heart, he's actually quoting the 37th Psalm. And the key verse is verse 11. Let me see where I want to start. Start with verse 10. Before you know it, the weak will have had it. You'll stare at his once famous place and nothing. Down to earth people will move in and take over, relishing a huge bonanza. New International Reader's Version puts it this way. In a little while, there won't be any more sinners. Even if you look for them, you won't be able to find them. But those who are free of pride will be given the land. They will enjoy great peace. If we want to be what Christ would have us to be, then we have to learn how to develop a gentleness of spirit, a meekness of attitude. And here is where I want you to see the difference between uh, meek and gentle. Meek refers to action. Gentle refers to attitude. Let me flip that over. Gentle refers to action. Meek refers to attitude. I said that wrong. When you say that someone is gentle, then you're talking about their actions, their behavior. When you talk about meekness, you're talking about an attitude. You're talking about the development of one's whole state of mind. When you understand that, then what you understand is meekness produces gentleness. If you have a meek spirit, then you ain't got no problem with a gentle attitude. Now, as I was preparing to, to teach this and, and I was doing some study, I came across something and, and I should have written down the name of the person who said this, but I, I, I didn't. He describes meekness this way. He talks about the gentleness, the strength of meekness this way. If you were injured, if, if, if you were physically injured and you could not walk and someone had to carry you, would you want somebody with just brute strength who was just going to throw you around like a rag doll? Or would you want somebody who had the strength and the compassion to carry you 
gently. You already hurt. You don't need nobody else to, 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 to jostle you around. You want someone who can carry you gently to a place of rest and rehabilitation. That's the difference between raw strength and meekness. Does that make sense to you? It's not just a matter of do you have the strength, it's do you have the compassion. You might, you might be strong enough to lift someone, but if you're just throwing them around all over the place, you, you're actually doing more harm than good. No, what you want is someone who is both strong and compassionate. Strong and concerned. Concerned about your welfare. See, a strong person might bristle up against somebody who says something or does something that you don't like. A stronger person can walk away from it and not feel less than because he walked away. How strong are you? Somebody calls you a name, you, you pick the name that you hate the most. So, so, somebody calls you a name that you don't like and, and you want to turn and, and, and you want to cuss them out. As my grandmother used to say, lay your religion down for a second. <laughs> or, or, or perhaps you, 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 you're bold and bad enough to where your fists kind of ball up and, and, and you're ready to strike somebody. Now, strong people do that kind of stuff. And they end up in jail. And they end up in hospitals. And they end up in cemeteries. Strong. Stupid. Short-sighted. Ill-tempered. They were strong. Stronger people can hear, absorb, take it in, and respond with love. Is, it, is that not what Jesus says to us? Bless those who curse you, not just who curse, who curse you. That's meekness. Do good to those who hate you. That's meekness. Pray for them that use you and persecute you. That's meekness. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. That's meekness. If someone compels you to walk one mile, go two. That's meekness. If someone sues you for your coat, give him the coat and your cloak as well. That's meekness. Over and over again, Jesus gives us ample examples of what meekness ought to look like. And the question becomes, are we just reading it? Or have we submitted ourselves to it? Here's one thing that I am convinced of. You may not be convinced yet, but I am convinced of this. You have the capacity for meekness if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have the capacity for, for, for meekness. Now, whether or not you choose to uh, exercise meekness, that's on you. 
but it's not because you don't have the capacity to do it. Understand, because somebody's going to say, well, that might not be my gift. Here's the problem. It wasn't listed as a gift. Meekness wasn't listed as a gift. Meekness was, lifted, was listed as a, an identifier of the fruit of the Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit should be manifest in your life. The capacity for love is manifest within you. And so the only thing that keeps love from being revealed in your living you. I don't want to do it. I don't think I should have to do it. My mama told me I didn't have to do it. Y'all know what your mom and daddy told you, right? I know what my daddy told me. If somebody hits me, I better pick up a brick or a stick or something and hit him upside the head with it. And he was the preacher. <laughs> Don't you come home crying. You pick up a brick or a stick or a bottle, something. Some of us are 50, 60, 70 years old, still living by that. Amen. Only one problem with it it ain't Christian. It, 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 is, it is simply not Christian to do that. Turning your Bibles to Proverbs. I told you we're going to turn today. Turn to Proverbs. Chapter 15. Look at verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. True strength is shown by our ability to be secure enough in who we are in Christ that we can maintain our composure under difficult circumstances. It's not hard to be composed when everything is going your way. It's not hard to be composed when, 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 when things are favorable. But when conditions turn and when things start to become negative and difficult, can you maintain your composure then? Can you think before you speak? Can you think before you act? Can you consider the ramifications of your actions? And can you choose a better route than the one that seems to be the most expedient? The most expedient route is not always, let me change that, is seldom the best route. The fact that it's, that, 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 that it's quick, that it's to the point, does not make it the best route to go. In fact, sometimes taking a little time, learning how to breathe, 
a good thing. Some of y'all in here are hot-headed. I'm pausing so that you can think about who it is. I'm... Some, some of y'all are hot-headed folk. Somebody says something to you or does something to you. Worse than that, somebody does something to somebody you care about. Somebody does something to your children. All of us have, you, know, we, we, you can do what you want to do to me, just don't mess with. And, and some of y'all old enough not where it ain't even children no more, it's grandchildren. Don't, 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 don't. somebody said great grandchildren. I wasn't gonna tell how old y'all are, but y'all you know, wanna tell on yourselves, that's fine. And sometimes we, 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 we're quick with a response, not knowing that that quick response, it makes you feel good to get it off your chest, but it causes more problems than it solves. All of us know the story of Moses, right? Moses got frustrated one day, got, got flustered, got, got angry, got upset, because he'd been with folk for a long time, and he got tired of them always complaining. The moment he, he, he gave them one thing, they wanted something else. And he had just fed them. They, they were hungry and they were complaining. And, and we're hungry. And, and, and he went to God and God told him what to do and he fed them. And then they said, well, now we're thirsty. And Moses got upset. And God told Moses, go over to that rock and talk to the rock and water's gonna come forth from the rock. But when Moses got to the rock, Moses didn't talk to the rock. Moses struck the rock. Bible says he struck it twice. And, and, and the reason why the Bible says he struck it twice is because somebody would say if he struck it once, well, it was just an accident. No, he struck it twice, which means he knew what he was doing and he wanted to do it. And when he struck the rock, water came in abundance. It, it came out so fast that it knocked people down. And for a moment, Moses felt good. I know he felt good. It ain't gonna bother me no more. Ain't gonna ask me for nothing else. Better leave me alone now. But you know what God told Moses? Because you disobeyed me, because you didn't do what I told you to do, because you took things into your hands instead of doing what I said do, you will not be able to go over into the promised land. He says, I will let you go up and look at it, which to me is just more Torture. I told you, me and God are going to have a conversation about Moses when I get to heaven. You can go up on the hill, you can look over, you can see it, but you can't go in. Sometimes the most expedient thing, the thing that, that, that comes first to our minds, is, is not always the wisest thing to do particularly when God says do something 
else. So we, we have to recognize that true gentleness, true meekness is God-ordained. And it helps us, not just in our, as I said a moment ago, not just in our vertical relationship with him, but it helps us in our horizontal relationship with one another. Let me remind you, you ain't here just for you. As disciples of Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility that extends beyond you. Your responsibility, Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they will see your good work and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's beyond you. Paul says that we should take the concerns of others and elevate them over our own concerns. That means that we are here for more than just us. And part of the problem that we have with meekness is that we want to believe that we're at the center of the universe. That all of life revolves around us. Here's the other part of it that, 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 that irritates us. We think that we're too good to let other folk do this to us. Now, if you're going to sit here and you're going to tell me, well, I'm as good as anybody else, you and I have no, no argument. You are as good as anybody else. We're all the same in the sight of God. We're all the same. But here's the problem. It ain't about you. It's about who God made you to be. And when you understand that it's about who God made you to be, then you have a higher responsibility. More is expected of you. Not because you're more than or less than somebody else, or not because somebody else is more than or less than you, but because of your relationship with God. There were three of us coming up. My brother, my sister, me. I was in the middle. My, my brother is six years older than, than me. Talk about quick tempered. He, he was a quick tempered somebody. And, and he always ended up using his fists to try to have his way with me. He was told he couldn't hit my sister, and so was I. So she got away with all kinds of stuff. But, 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 but he, he'd get mad with me and, and he'd want to strike me. And he always got in trouble for it. You know why? Because I would push him to do it just so I'd watch him get in trouble. You wanna know how I know when, when, when you know which button to push, people will just keep on pushing buttons? Because I used to push his all the time. My nickname for my nickname for him when, when I was a child, six years younger than him, so when he's 10, I'm four. I called him Dummy. His name was Eric, I called him Dummy. And, 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 and Dummy this, Dummy that, Dummy the other. And after a while he got tired of being called Dummy. And he'd come and he'd pop me in the head and I'd make sure he did it in front of my mama. Or in front of my grandmother. And you know who got in trouble for it? Not me. He got in trouble for it. And, and he would go, but he's calling me this. 
you're older, you're supposed to know better. What's my point to you? My point is you're, 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 you're tied to Christ. You're supposed to know better. Christians ought to, when, when somebody calls themselves a Christian, that ought to mean more than just you go to church twice a month. It ought to say something about who you are. It ought to say something about your character. It ought to say something about the way you carry yourself. More should be expected of you because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. So Christians shouldn't be doing stuff that other folk are doing. I don't care how you feel about it at that moment. I don't care that it got under your skin. I don't care that they, 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 they were able to manipulate you. You shouldn't allow yourself to be manipulated that way because you're tied to the master. And your relationship with the master needs to be stronger than that. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, which is where we started with this whole thing. I'll start with verse 16. My counsel is this, live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical, so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. Are you listening? You can't say I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. And use that as your excuse for how you carry yourself. Christians are expected to be better than that. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence. When we are guided by the Holy Spirit, when, when we abide in the fruit of the Spirit, which is agape love, love for God and love for our fellow man, then the law becomes irrelevant. We're no longer bound by, by any rules or regulations they become absolutely irrelevant. I don't need a rule to tell me to treat you right. I know I'm supposed to treat you right. I don't need a law to tell me that I should be concerned about you. I know I'm supposed to be concerned about you. And I know that I'm supposed to put myself out for you to the best of my ability to help meet your need. Rules are no longer necessary because I abide in the spirit. And those who have to do things by rule or by law are saying, 
I won't do it because the Lord says so. I'll do it because a rule tells me to. And Jesus doesn't think that that's good enough. And nor should you. What Christ wants is for us to recognize who he is and submit ourselves to his authority. What was it, 25, 30 years ago, somebody came out with this bracelet, WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's, that's really what it's really all about. Ask yourself, what is it that Jesus would do? Jesus describes himself as meek, as gentle, as lowly in heart, as humble. Jesus, who is king of kings and lord of lords, submitted himself to the authority of the Father. There were things that, that, that the disciples, James and John, come to him one day and pull him to the side and say, we want to, to be able to sit on your right and on your left when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, that's not for me to, 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 to give. It's for those that my father has already appointed it for in heaven. He recognized the difference between his authority and the father's authority. I mean, he, he's about to send, ascend back into heaven. And they ask him, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that have been set by my father's hands. If Jesus can submit to authority, what's your excuse? What's your rationale? How, how do you come to the conclusion that you, that you don't have to do that? That it doesn't apply to you? If you're guided by the Spirit, if you dwell in the Spirit, if the Spirit reigns in your life, rules, you, you don't need to worry about the Ten Commandments. You, you j j just follow the two. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. It covers everything else. You won't dishonor God and you won't dishonor one another if you follow those two. Well, does this mean then that, that we are not to fight at all? That, 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 that we should never stand up for ourselves? No, what it means is that you don't need to be in physical fights. You're always in a spiritual fight. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Look at verses 11 and 12. But you, Timothy, man of God, run for your life from all this. Pursue a righteous life, a life of wonder, faith, love, steadiness, courtesy. Run hard and fast in the faith. Seize the eternal life, the life you were called to, the life you so fervently embraced in the presence of so many witnesses. That's the fight that you're supposed to have. Not physical fights with one another. But fight the fight of faith. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. Chapter 6, starting with verse 10. And that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything 
the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. So, in our urging you to embrace meekness, we are not saying that there is never a time to fight, nor are we saying that there is never an opponent that needs to be fought. What we're saying is that the opponent is not us. When we fight against one another, do you know who's gleeful about that? Satan. When there is confusion in the church, in the local body, do you know who's happy about that? The devil. You know who else is happy about it? Folk who don't go to church. That's why I don't bother no church. Them folk ain't no better than we are. They just as low down and dirty as, as the rest. That's the way people think. And you give them license and permission to do that by your behavior. No, we are not to fight against one another, but we do have an enemy. We do have someone that we must fight against. And that battle must be against Satan and against all of his little demonic forces. Now, understand something. Satan presents himself in people. Jesus says to Peter, when Peter pulls him aside and says, no, master, none of these things that you say is going to happen to you is going to happen to you. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Satan presents himself in people. But that doesn't make the people the enemy. Correct the people, fight the devil. Encourage the people, fight the devil. Resist bad counsel that comes through the voices of people, but fight the devil and know the difference. You ever hear trying to kill a fly with a sledgehammer? It's called overkill. Some of us are trying to, we, we say that we're waging war with the devil, when really what we're doing is beating up each other and hurting each other and tearing each other down. How is it that, 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 that we can be so far wrong that we think that it's okay, that, that we prevail when we stand over a defeated human being. That's not Christ. That's not what he taught. On the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And yet, we, we have taken it upon ourselves to believe that when we uh, defeat one another, when we 
cast down one another. That somehow or other we have done the Lord's work. No, you have not. We ought to be the first to embrace one another. Especially those who have opposed us. Not carry on 20 year old fights that we have passed on to our children and our grandchildren. And since y'all say y'all got them, your great grandchildren. Don't, don't mess with them. His grandpa ain't no good. His grandma ain't no good. They crossed me in, in 47. Ain't none of them been no good ever since. You smiling because you know I'm telling the truth. We have to be careful that we don't confuse the instruments of Satan with Satan himself. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers against spiritual wickedness in high places. Turn to Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 9. Verses 9 and 10, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Let me just stop right there. People might not be able to articulate it all the time, but folk know when you're genuine and when you're not. Don't fake it. You, 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 you ain't doing nothing to help other people and you're certainly not doing anything to help yourself. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. What does that mean? Make yourself last. We're talking about humility. Practice it. Instead of putting yourself first all the time, Put yourself at, doesn't Jesus talk about, Jesus is at the home of some Pharisees. And, 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 and he's the guest of honor, so they sit him at the head of the table. And then he sees other folk bucking to get close to him. They're all trying to get as close to him as they possibly can. And Jesus says, you know, it'd be better if you sat way on that end. And let somebody invite you up. Rather than for you to come and grab a seat that ain't yours. And somebody have to come and invite you down. That's, that, that's part of our problem. We don't know how to humble ourselves. Stay with Romans chapter 12. Look at verses 16 through 18. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. You ever know somebody who, who every story is about them all the time? You, you tell a story, and they, oh, I, I can beat that one. Well, I didn't know we were in a competition. 
Don't make yourself the great somebody. Then it says, don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. Then Paul says this, if you've got it in you. Now, understand, he puts it as a conditional, not because it's a condition, but because he wants you to look inside and realize what's there. He says, if you got it in you, but he knows that you have it in you. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Y'all like the, the King James word, as much as it depends on you. Yes. Y'all like that because, because that's your out. Well, I tried but it just wasn't possible for me. No, he's saying, if you've got it in you because he knows you have it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. Meekness. Gentleness, knowing how to carry yourselves that reflects the character of Christ. This is what we are intended to do as his disciples. And this is what God expects of us. Now, turn to Luke and I'm done. Looking at a watch that does not, is not there. I got five minutes. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Verse 31. Y'all know this from the King James Version too. I'm reading it from the new, I'm sorry, from the message version. And just as you want people to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you have a red letter edition Bible, it's in red. If it's in red, that means Jesus said it. Don't you just love the way old preachers used to say Jesus? They, they, they don't just say Jesus. Jesus said it. And if Jesus said it, then we ought to make it our business to do that. We have the Holy Spirit. And since we have the Holy Spirit, we should want the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be made manifest in our lives. And among those fruits, we, we, we've talked about gentleness, meekness today, but we've talked about fidelity, faithfulness. We've talked about forgiveness, which is something that is particularly difficult for some of us to do. We've talked about joy. We've talked about peace. Let 
these attributes reign in your lives. And watch how it changes your world. Watch how it changes people around you. Now, I ain't crazy. It ain't going to change everybody. But somebody's going to see a change in you. And they're going to change also. It's a new year. Are you looking for a church home? A church that will be welcoming to you and to your family, to your children? A church that is interested in meeting the needs of people? I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, and I'm inviting you to come and share with us. Come check us out. You'll be glad that you did. to African-American uh, uh, culture in the African-American community, uh, I have a lot of hope because there is a tremendous amount of talent that exists within uh, young African-American men and women. Uh, I am constantly uh, blown away and amazed by the level of uh, intelligence, uh, uh, academic acumen, drive uh, that uh, many of the young people here in this church uh, possess. Uh, and uh, I think that there is a lot that they can contribute uh, to the next generation uh, if they continue on the path that they're on. My fears, though, have to do with the fact that uh, for too many of us, opportunities do not exist. Uh, uh, and opportunities have been cut short by uh, uncontrollable aspects of their lives and, and in some cases aspects of their lives that they indulged in that were completely controllable. Uh, being young is, is, is a wonderful thing. It's also a frightening thing because uh, by virtue of the fact that you are young, you tend to make mistakes. Uh, you tend to exercise poor judgment. You tend to think that you can do things uh, and get away with it or, or do things that are bold uh, that uh, will not have any consequences. And more often than not, uh, you're caught up in the consequences and the consequences prove to be overwhelming. Uh, too many of our young people uh, are trying to make quick dollars uh, by doing things that are illegal, immoral, risky. Uh, too many of our young people are caught up in environments uh, that have proven to be negative and they don't seem to find a way uh, to get out of those environments. They don't have adequate help, they don't have adequate guidance and counsel to get out of those negative environments. And the environment proves to be overwhelming and they're caught up in it uh, like a web and, and they're carried under. In many cases, uh, talented young African-American people simply succumb to the environment and, and say, this is, this is my world. And 
I'm going to navigate it as best I can for as long as I can. It's really troubling to me when I talk to young people uh, who don't expect to live to see 30. And uh, uh, that, that, that's a pretty hopeless way to live life, to expect to be gone by 30. As somebody who's about to turn 54, I really recognize now how young 30 is. And to see people uh, who don't have any real expectation of living to 30, let alone beyond 30, is very troubling to me. And these are not stupid people. These are people who simply have not been given the same opportunities to achieve and to succeed that others have been given. Since I can remember, uh, my family has always been involved in music. When we were young, uh, my mom and my dad played uh, at our family church, and we would essentially provide the music for it. So, uh, as far as that much uh, goes, it's, it's just always been in my life uh, in, in some form or fashion. Started uh, with my family at first, uh, and then it just kind of grew. Uh, when I, at the school that I, uh, I went to, there was a need for musicians. So it didn't matter that I was in second grade or third grade. Uh, could you play the piano? Yes, <laughs> we need you for a service. So, um, a lot of a lot of it, I was doing it, and I guess I fell in love with it before I knew that it wasn't something that everybody did, just because I grew up with it. Shiloh Baptist Church Early Learning Academy is a state-of-the-art child care facility dedicated to the enhancement of your child's future. Our newly installed live web cameras allow parents to participate in their child's daily learning experience. We accept children six weeks of age through the first grade. Start your child on the right path at Shiloh Baptist Church Early Learning Academy. Located at 185 Eddie Robinson Senior Drive. You can reach us at 225 343 4734.